Hello, dear friends, and welcome to the Great Day Podcast. I'm your friend and host, Mayor Kay, and today we have with us the Jewish Jordan. That's right, nicknamed back in 1999 by Sports Illustrated, Tamir Goodman is on the Great Day Podcast, and boy, I am excited. I mean, I was growing up when this guy was hitting fame back in the day, and having him today talking about what was going on, the, the events that led up to him exploding on throughout the world around in the basketball world. And even as someone like myself, who wasn't really in, followed basketball to a T, I love playing basketball, but we knew who Tamir Goodman was. I mean, this guy was a legend back then. And even till today has continued his legacy in many different aspects, as you'll hear in this conversation with him. See, Tamir was ranked the 25th best high school basketball player in the nation and he gained national attention after averaging over 35 points per game his junior year, all the while remaining faithful to his Orthodox Jewish upbringing. Tamir was also named MVP of the prestigious Capital Classic All-Star Game, an award won by Shaquille O'Neal, LeBron James, and other NBA stars. We cover a whole lot in our conversation from details that many of you may have never heard about his journey to fame and the aftermath and what drives him to be the best he can be every single day. This episode with Tamir is dripping with inspiration. So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, kids, kids at heart, sit back, relax, whether you're running, driving, whatever activity you're doing. I thank you for tuning in. Thank you for making the time. And I do hope you enjoy this podcast with the one and only Tamir Goodman. in the house calling in all the way from israel wow how you doing today my man amazing thank you so much it's an honor to be on your show big fan big fan of you big fan of the show so ah, this, this is all, all thanks. good Thanks, Legend. Yeah, I appreciate you reached out the other day get complimenting the podcast. I was like, duh, I need to get you on the podcast. So I'm so happy that we're here. I mean, gr- talking about fans, I mean, growing up, you got a couple years on me and not not so many, but I mean, you're when you were flying and hitting those headlines, uh, yeah, you you're you were talk of the town between classes. We were like, yo, Tamir Goodman following the stories. That was uh so it's it's an honor to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah, man, absolutely. So, I mean, I I love to like get the the context and like you know wheel it back a bit uh, to the uh, to the Jewish Jordan days. You know, to first of all, I mean, Jewish Jordan. Like, are you even a fan of Jordan? Would you have liked to be dubbed, you know, some other type of basketball player's name? Like, was that even a thing that you vied with? I never liked the nickname, the Jewish Michael Jordan. Um, but over the years, I've learned that it could be a tool to help people, inspire people. So, I kind of you know, took it off of me and put all the energy onto the mission of helping other people through the nickname. So that's kind of helped me get through it. But growing up, I did love Michael Jordan 100%. I mean, I used to, my method was like, I used to watch the game, like the first half, see, memorize the moves at halftime, go downstairs to the backyard, practice all the moves, what I saw in the first half, give a quick prayer to God that Michael Jordan should play good in the second half. (laughs) I go watch the second half and then come back down after the game and, and practice what I saw in the second half. And, you know, that's, we lived with Michael Jordan. I lived with him in my heart, lived with him in my mind. And I was always a oh. fan of his, but I never felt like it was fair. I never asked to be called the, the Jewish Michael Jordan. If you had a, if you had a way of, of, um, uh, of naming your, yourself, did you have your own title? Like, what would you like to be called? Like what kind of, 
persona would that be? No, I never, I never thought of that. I, I never really thought too much about myself. I never still don't. It's, it's always, you know, it's always been about something bigger than myself. And that's kind of helped me survive everything that I've been through. Because I think like, if we just play for our own ego, if I was just to play basketball because my own whatever, there's no way I would have been able to handle the good times or the bad times. I would have quit or I would have broken down or I wouldn't have made it. And um, because it was always about a bigger mission. So when, when I was playing really well and things were going really well, I couldn't be satisfied because this isn't about me. There's so much more to do. There's so much more work. There's a bigger picture here. And then during the challenging times, I couldn't feel too bad for myself because I had picked myself up and say, there's a lot of work to do. This isn't about just me. So uh, that's been very helpful for me in, in my journey and Judaism specifically has helped me a lot with that. So, wow. I mean, that's, that's, that's intense. I mean, that's, that's really deep understanding of self and like greater, greater mission at such a young tender age. I mean, we're talking about high school. So, I mean, before, I guess, how did you get to that realization? Like to realize like, this is all a gift. I've heard it. You speak about it in the interviews that, you know, back then on TV, like, you know, this is a gift. I mean, as easily as God gave it to me, he could take it away. Like, was this something that was, you, you just felt deep inside? Was this something that like a mentor, a coach, a rabbi told you? Um, what, what inspired you to like, look at, at this gift in such a manner? Yeah, I think it was the way that I grew up. I mean, I love basketball. I fell in love with basketball and I love basketball more than anything in the world. You can't just say like, I love it. Like I, I love the game so much. It meant everything in the world to me at a very young age. But at the same time, I, you know, I remember being 10 years old in my backyard and, and looking at my hands and saying, you know, these hands right here, they're going to show the world that you can play Division One basketball on a full scholarship and get a professional contract to play basketball without playing on Shabbat. Like I, I just saw it happening at 10 years old. And I grew up in an amazing home. My, my Safta was a Holocaust survivor. She lived with us six months out of the year. My father was a really proud Jew. I think he was the first Jew to wear his kippah in court in America. I remember going to court with him once as a kid and um, there were much more religious lawyers and people that had a much stronger background than my father that, that would take their keep off in court. And I remember I was, wasn't feeling well one day and he took me to court with him because he couldn't leave me home. So I just, he, we walked into the courtroom and he sat, he sat me down on the back bench and the judge wanted to ask him something. So my father went up to the judge and I saw him wearing my father wearing a keep up because I was from behind looking forward and I just thought that that was really cool I, I said like man my father I, I kind of want to do that through basketball what my father's doing through law wow. and um I kind of grew up in a house of like you know Jewish pride and a very unique house that that like spirituality and, and physicality and all that were always one so mm. Wow. I hear that. When did you, what age did you realize? Like, I love, I mean, you love basketball. I've met a lot of kids who love basketball, but how did you, when did you realize like, this is something that I want to do professionally? And like, and when did you, and when were you told that like, Hey, you got something special going on when it comes to this skill set? Yeah. So my coach, coach Katz, who raised me and everything, he told my mom when I was nine that I was going to be a division one player. Whoa. That my mom wouldn't have to pay for college. That's what he told me. <laughs> that's a way to, that's a way to get mom behind your dream. Yeah. I should have told um, her that I, when it came to my acting. Like, mom, I'm telling you, it's gonna get me, it's yeah. gonna pay through life. Yeah. Yeah. So they when I was a kid, they came out with the quick release bikes. I don't know if you remember that. There was like you could take your front tire off and lock your bike so no one will steal your tire and your bike. 
because I guess people were stealing tires. I don't know. I don't know if you remember when this technology came out. It's called Quick Release. Got it before my time. Yeah, so you could take the, the, the front tire off and then lock it, and and no one would steal your tire or your bike, right? So I was one of the first kids to get a Quick Release bike. Oh, I was sweet. so excited about it, and I kept on taking the tire on and off, on and off, on and off. And then one day I took it off, but I didn't put it back on the right way because it. They just came back on. I didn't know how to do the technology yet. So I'm coming home and I jump a wheelie on the bump and I'm in the air and my front tire comes off the bike and I'm just flying in the air with no tire now. And I hand on, hold on to the handlebars and I flip over and over and over and over and over and over again on the bike. And I literally bust my entire face open, stitches in my mouth, stitches all over my eye. The doctors don't know how did I even find my house? Like I open up the door and my mom saw me. They rushed me to the hospital. Stitches ever, stitches ever, stitches ever. I get finally get home, right? I still have stitches in my mouth. And the next morning, I'm outside jumping rope. Wow. And my mother comes outside to the backyard and she says, what are you doing? <laughs> and I said, Ima, you signed me up for basketball camp. I got to be in shape. And um, she couldn't believe it, but I think like that was one of the first times she realized like how much I love this game and nothing was going to pull me away from the game. And I remember she took me to the doctor. They had to get special ointments, special vitamins and everything to cover all this, the blood on my face to allow me to go to camp like that. And I didn't care what I was like. I just went to camp and I just loved the game so much. So you're just yeah. born with this. I mean, because I'm thinking out loud here, like what to have something that one's so passionate about, it gives them direction, goal, you know, focus. Uh, did you did you just watch basketball? Did you play it? You picked up a basketball like, wow, this feels something different from the other sports I've been playing. I mean, and like, A, yeah. know about that. Number two is if someone isn't so obvious, if it's not so obvious to somebody, a young kid or a teenager, what can they, how can one discover that perhaps from your experience? Cause I know you do a lot with kids to, to figure out what yeah. that talks to them and the way that basketball talks to you. Yeah. So, well, first my older brothers played, you know, and, and what, what started to happen was we went to local Jewish school and my older brothers were in high school. So they had to go there for prayer at seven 30 in the morning. And then they'd get done school at like five or six at night. I was only in elementary. So I only had to be at school at like eight 30 and I was done at like three 30. So what I started doing was I would go to school with them. I didn't go to school when my friends went to school. That way I got that time in the morning in the gym to myself. And then when school was over, my friends would go home. I have 3.30 to 6.30 in the gym by myself. Mm-hmm. And that was like my special time. And I just love the game. You have to love the game. I don't think that, you know, initially you didn't love the game. I don't know how you could convince someone of that or introduce someone to that, but initially you need to love it. It has to come from love, you know, otherwise it's, sure. it's too intense. Totally. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, but I was very, very, very blessed that my, my parents always gave me the green light. Like, you know, I was the only Jewish kid to go to basketball camps back then, you know, with my keeper, like, or in the summer, like I'd ride my park bike down to the park where there was no Jewish kids you know, I'd get there in the morning and the guys wouldn't let me play. I was a kid. I was nine, 10 years old. Everyone there's like adults. And what I would do is I just dribble on the sideline, right hand, left hand, watch them play. And then like around eight, nine o'clock at night, it started to get dark outside. So most of the players went home. They didn't have 10 players anymore. So they let me play for like two minutes. So mayor, I would be on the court on the sideline practicing all day just for those two minutes to play with the older guys. And when I got in, that was like, man, I'm, I'm playing with the older guys. And, and, you know, that's, 
you know, my parents always gave me the green light though. And uh, that was a very big blessing. That, they that is never, that is huge. That no. parents supported you and gave you that outlet for you to like express yourself and, and to feel supported in the things that you wanted to do, which I mean, later in life, I'm re- recognizing that that's, that can, that's such a powerful thing. And it could be also very detrimental for a child's development. If, you know, done in the right way to, for parents to support what a child yearns for wants or feels desired it's it's it has incredible it could really grow a person in tremendous tremendous heights or it could really tear them down and they could doubt themselves for years and years as they get older wondering if what they like is good for them and so on and so forth so it's cool that your parents I, I, i had the perfect background upbringing location growing up everything was perfect i had the best parents the best family the best coach the best coach i had everything and that was a miracle yeah, I grew up in in, in Baltimore. Uh, I, I, you know, he yeah. never let me settle. He never let me settle at a young age. By the time I was like 15, 16 years old, I was already. I had the the basketball IQ and the mental fortitude and mental toughness, probably of a pro player. I, I, he would make me do things in high school that pros have a tough time with. Like if I had a bad shooting night and I didn't want to talk to the media after the game he made me talk to the media after the game and face them at like 15, 16, 17 wow. years old. Wow. You know, there's pro guys that can't do that, you know, yeah. or, you know, there was one night I'm like 15 years old. He took me to play against college players and they're beating me up. They're stealing the ball from me, everything. I'm crushed. I go for a layup. I'm, I'm crying. I hit the, the pad behind the basket. I'm like crying. I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do this. These guys are too strong. They're too, they were like 21, 22. I'm like 15, 16. He just comes over to me. He's like, Hey, we don't have to be here. Like, you want to go home? Let's just go home right now. He's like, but if you want to play in college, you're going to have to play against this speed. You're going to have to play against this strength. So so if you want to do it, you got to pick yourself up and get back out there and do it. If you don't want to do it, let's just go home right now. That's how he talked to me when I was 15 years old. So I'm like, yeah, I want to do it. So he's like, you want to do it? Wipe your tears away and get back out there. You know, and and that's how, that's how you, that's how you, that's how I was raised. (laughs) And I needed to do I needed to be raised like that because if you want a division one scholarship, you think about how many kids play high school basketball and how many are going to get a scholarship. It's like, what are those stats? Do you know this? What do those numbers look like? It's almost impossible. It's like point zero something point. It's it's almost impossible. So you, and then throw on top of that, you can't play on Shabbat. Like the chances are like, man, (laughs) what do you, what do you think is, um, like what, are, what is something that people don't recognize that is difficult? Like what kind of sacrifices do you have to make to, to become the player that you were at that young age? Yeah, so you don't, you don't have a normal life like a, like a regular 15, 16-year-old. You're, you're, you're at 14, 15, 16, you're probably as focused as like a doctor that's about to become a doctor or mm-hmm. a lawyer that's about to become a lawyer. You're, you know exactly how many shots you're shooting every day how many you missed, how many you made, what, you know, what you need to work on, what you're doing in the weight room, like every single day, like what you're eating, what you're sleeping, you know, how long you're sleeping, like you better be doing good at school. Like that's just like a regular uh, future college player throw on top of that, that like I was probably one of the most um, followed a big PR guy just told me that he's like, other than Allen Iverson, Will Chamberlain, LeBron James, you were, you were the most, I don't know, followed high school basketball player in American history. Wow. That's yeah. huge. I mean, you yeah, were the best bas- high school basketball player in the country. You're, you're, you're like, you're, 25. 
Top 25. Wow. I mean, that's yeah. big. I mean, and, and you talked about this in some interviews and I want to like, you talked about that pressure at such a young age. Like what kind, what kind of effect did it have on you back then? And how has that translated to your time now as an adult? Yeah. So like, wow. I mean, by the time I was like 16 or 17, they had like this article that comes out in one of these papers, like the most influential Jews. By the time I was like 16 or something, I, I was the head of the White House press secretary. Okay. Um, I was like meeting Magic Johnson. I, I was like on the front page of the Washington Post, like 11 days in a row, like 700 media requests in one week. Jerry Seinfeld did a full skit about me on Saturday Night Live. Like, and it was a, a different type of famous because like back then it's like you didn't have the internet you weren't bombarded by like a million different stories so like if you were in sports illustrated it really meant something to the readers because like that was the story of the week until you got another subscription like you were like thinking about that all week so it was like man i was like in every outlet and it was like it it, it was like internal for for people back then because it's like now by eight o'clock in the morning you're thinking about something nine o'clock you're thinking about something else ten o'clock there's already another ten stories it's just mm -hmm. like different mm -hmm. you know yeah, so it was yeah. it was really really intense um and you know it's it's also you know i had the best family I had the best friends i had the best everything but in a lot of ways being famous is very very lonely it is a, is a hard place to be in it's a hard place to be in um i know the other day i was watching uh mind the alex uh podcast and she was talking about it what it was like for her and she had steve urkel on there too and everything that they were saying like about their childhood like i i related to it very very much what resonated from their conversation in any specifics it's almost like uh it's almost like this like one of my kids right now he's he's uh three but he could balance right he could balance on a bike on a two-wheeler right so physically he, he's got it but like mentally, he doesn't understand like every single thing that's going around him. Like a car could be pulling out like a driveway, like right. it's the same thing. Like you're in this body, you know, you're, you're playing ball, but you have no idea what it means that like you just had a four page spread in Sports Illustrated, you know, nicknamed the Jewish Michael Jordan. You have no idea like what it means to be on SportsCenter, to be, to have a nickname in high school, like that NBA stars all know who you are already. Like, you walk into an NBA gym and the cameras are like focused on you and not the NBA players. Like you can't, it's too much. You can't imagine like you're not ready for it. You know, wow. it's, it's, it's too much. Yeah. So how, and so how did you ground, how did you ground yourself or what was that process like to like, to come to land from all this like craziness that was happening around you? Yeah, so I had the best family and the best coach that they, they tried to like keep everything as normal as possible, but but also basketball. I was always focused on getting better at basketball every single day, you know, which was every everything to me. And and I also was very lucky that I had Hashem, you know, I grew up in a Jewish house and I had the blueprint, I had the Judaism that really, really, really helped me. You know, I had a nice relationship with Hashem that really, really helped me get through a lot of that. Mm. How and how has the relationship with Hashem evolved throughout throughout life now? Well, it's it's everything to me. I you know I went through a lot, um, but that's you know it's like no one can take away your faith from you. You can take take away your money, they can take away you know everything, but no one can take away your faith. And you know, there's been a lot of ups and downs. You know, I I I, I graduated from a Christian school. You know, that was a very big challenge for me. Um, 
I had, you know, I had an opportunity to play at Maryland and I gave that scholarship back because I didn't want to play on Shabbat. Yeah. They go on to win, they go on to win the national championship. Like I would have been on that team. I go to another school that changes the schedule for me, Towson University's a miracle. I don't have to play on Shabbat. I have a Muslim roommate. Everything's amazing. I, I went from like Jewish school to a predominantly African-American Christian school. Now I'm rooming with a Muslim basketball player in college, but everyone, the team's awesome. Team's playing well. Everything's great. Unfortunately though, just when I felt like I was at home and everything that I went through um, added up to me being at home, the coach got fired. A new coach came in and he absolutely destroyed my life. You know, the wow. new coach came in and, and he made it impossible for me as a Jewish athlete. And he assaulted me in the locker room. And the next day, the paper, the players, the, the, the newspaper was writing, oh, Tom, you're so weak. Wow. And he needs to be stronger. You, and what's, no what's, one, what's no transformed one even knew there? what was going yeah. on. No yeah. one even knew what was going on. That, like, I had an opportunity to leave Towson University. I had nice offers. But I said to myself, and, and I was warned. They said, don't. don't don't, don't stay at, you know, don't stay at Towson. It's not going to work with the new coach. And I said, no, I can't leave Towson because they did so much to help me. How can I leave the school that helped me with Shabbat? Like that would be rude. But the new coach comes in and from day one, there's like major, major, like red signs, you know, flashing lights that this is not working. And I tried to make it work. And I even called a meeting with him and the athletic director. And I warned the athletic director, I'm like really scared. I'm like, there's bad things happening with this new coach. And He's like, I can assure you everything's going to be fine. And then the incident happened in the locker room. Thank God the police were there. They, wow. they took me to the police station. You know, I, but I was broken you? after that. Mm-hmm. I was broken. I quit. I quit basketball. I lost my identity. It's almost like I see my kids playing Lego. You know, one kid builds a nice Lego tower and then some one other kid knocks it down. They start crying. Like my Lego tower, what I, pushed myself to tears every single day in training, everything that had overcome to get to that point. And then my coach got fired. The one who was my saint, who gave me my miracle. And then I just couldn't handle it. I just couldn't handle it at that age. It was too much, but I also realized that like losing my identity wasn't making me feel better like that. You know, that's exactly what, what gave me the courage to come back and come back better than ever because I, I eventually woke up one morning and I left campus, you know, I was back home. And when you say you left, when you say you left your, you lost your identity, which identity is that as a, being a basketball player, basketball player. I stopped playing. Like I looked in my closet, mayor. I looked in my closet and I'm like, I'm not wearing anything with basketball, like nothing. Like everything I had in my closet was basketball. Like I was just crushed. I was really, really hurt. I was, I didn't even know how to express it. You know, I, I and those, really and bad. those opportunities to go to any other college didn't exist anymore. No, they, they fill in their rosters, you know, and, and not only that, the media was writing bad things. They were saying Tamir's week and they had no idea that this was going on for right. so long. And it wasn't like, it's one thing like I, if, if a coach is like, you know, I'm, I'm against that style, but if a coach is like rough with you because they care about you and, and, and they're trying to help you reach the next level. Okay. But if a coach is doing it because they're trying to destroy you, um, it's a dangerous situation and uh, you wow. got to get out of it. Wow. So it, I just, I was really, Set I didn't even know how to express myself. I was crushed. I was down, broken, spiritually just broken. And then one morning I woke up and I'm like, okay, I can't understand why this happened to me. I, I can't. 
But one thing that made sense to me was like, I know that everyone in this world is special and I know everyone has a mission. And I know that my mission is to do basketball and I can't let someone else take me away from that. Like that didn't make sense to me anymore. I can't like not be me because of somebody else, what they did to me. Can't make myself a victim basically. So I got myself back in shape and I fortified myself with like a lot of courage and a, a lot more faith. And I came back stronger than ever basically. And that allowed me to, to move forward in my journey and, and even get, I would say closer to Hashem godliness than ever that whole breakdown, like helped me come back stronger than ever. I would say. Boom. Wow. Wow. Thank you for so much for sharing that. It's, it is quite amazing how, like, if we just, you know, give, we don't give up before the miracle, like how much more deepening we could get connected to, to God and to that type of fortification to move forward and to step up. But it takes so much courage and so much like surrendering of like, yo, okay, I did everything I can. I think it's that, recognizing that when we've done everything that we can and we still can't move forward and like there's there must we just need that help from something greater than ourselves that's what yeah. it takes to like to be able to level up to the next to the next level yeah so, there's, there's a part of the story that i think earlier on which i which shows so much strength and fortitude to like you pushing through is that when you found out that you have dyslexia yeah wow very 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 dyslexic very dyslexic. Um, I mean, example was like you couldn't tell the difference between a, a circle and a square. Right. That's that's yeah. a wild, a wild thing. How did you find that out, and how were you able to get through get through school on a, at a normal pace? It's it's crazy, you know. I, even yesterday, I was reading my son a Curious George book. Curious George, like Curious from, George. Yeah, I love Curious George. I can't read. It. I, I'm like I listen. I tell my wife, I'm like, listen, I can't read a Curious George book. I can't read it. So my son, I sound terrible. So like, you know, I'm growing up and uh, school's really hard for me and they keep putting me in like the classes that are for like whatever. And I keep telling the principal, I'm smart, you know, I'm smart, I, you know, but eventually we got diagnosed and, and the doctor's like, look, you know, it's going to be really, really hard for you to read and write. He's like, but you're seeing things on the court that nobody else is seeing. So God took away your vision with reading and writing, but he gave you some vision on the court that's like, no one else really has and so when I was on the court my dyslexia was like my confidence because it's like I remember like we don't throw that pass in basketball you know that's a bad pass in basketball mm -hmm. but for me I'm like I could see it it's not a bad like I he's open and I could make this pass like I, I know he's even going to be there before he's there wow. like so that gave me a lot that was my special blessing on the court like I felt like I could pass the ball and I could get my teammates the ball where they wanted and get it to them even when they don't even realize themselves they're open. So that, you know, that gave me a lot of confidence, but off the court, it was really, really hard. But first of all, there's like the pressure side of it. Cause like, everyone's like, I'm the Jewish kid that comes with like an expectation of like doing good in school. And it's like, I'm getting these division one offers, which is like the hard part, but like, you can't play unless you pass the SAT. Mm. So I'm like, oh my God, I got the hard part, but wait till the world finds out that I can't pass my SATs. Like that's going to be really embarrassing. And that was really freaking me out. So I started doing little basketball clinics, picking up some extra money. I still remember it was $50 an hour, $50 an hour to pay for the SAT tutor. And, and this guy was going to help me pass my SATs. And that's what I did at Hustle Basketball Clinics then go to the tutor and he taught me how to pass. And I just passed. I, I didn't believe it. Like wow. I called, I called in, you, they used to give you like the score, right? It used to cost like 10 bucks. All right. I'll do another 10 bucks. I can't believe what he said. And then I passed it. It jumped on the couch. I had enough to play division one. 
But then when I got to college, I made Dean's List and I got all these awards for like athletics and academics because in college, it was all about effort. It wasn't about being dyslexic. Like if you put in the effort, you're going to get good grades, I felt. And that I, you know, I tell that to kids all the time. Like the first thing that comes to your mind when you're finding you're dyslexic, you're stupid. You're stupid, but, but you're not. It just means your brain works in a unique way. And, you know, once I got to college, I was, you know, able to have amazing grades. Wow. Wow. Incredible. Wow. So, I mean, what, what do you, what do you miss most about playing basketball on that level? Yeah. Like there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it every single day without me thinking of it. I could just be like walking down the street and like, Oh, thank you. Hashem. I can't believe you let me play against Michigan at Michigan. Like, I can't believe you let me play against Villanova at Villanova. Like those moments, that experience, there's nothing, there's nothing like it, it can't be replicated. Mm. Hitting a big shot or making great play in front of thousands of people at something that you worked for your whole life and you dreamed about, and then you accomplish that dream. Uh, that is, I'm forever grateful for those moments. It, it can't be replicated. It can't, there's nothing else like it. <laughs> yeah. That's not- that sounds that sounds amazing. I mean, like, and basketball has like really become your life. I mean, this is like this is everything. Like, you know, some people go through like multiple careers throughout their throughout their life, but you've really turned it into like from from a young high school, college. You went through, you got your surgeries, and like, I mean, I'd love to hear more about that. And joining two thousand two Maccabi Tel Aviv, and then now yeah. like you're you're rocking and rolling with you know, your own basketball clinics, your basketball camps, you're traveling around and like inspiring kids through, through basketball. Um, I, I know I covered a lot there, but I'm going to work backwards actually for a second. What skills, what skills do kids walk away through the art and through the, through learning of basketball? What, what, what are some like values that one takes exactly. away? Exactly. Exactly. That's it right there. So when I was in fourth grade, I remember our teacher telling us, you can't do something too much. If you do too, something too much, you're going to burn out and get sick of it. Right. So I raised my hand and I'm like, I promise you I'm never going to get sick of basketball. (laughs) And uh, he disagreed with me. He disagreed with me. But like I said, if it was just basketball for basketball, then maybe he'd be right. But when you have the deeper lessons of basketball, it could go on forever. And what are those deeper lessons? Like you constantly miss shots in basketball, right? You constantly get cut from teams. Like I remember like being cut from a team, a pro team, and there was someone in my locker uh, even before I had a chance to get my gear out, like it's wow, ruthless. Rough. Yeah. Like <laughs> you're constantly told you're not good enough. Okay. You're constantly getting hurt physically, emotionally. Um, there's so many setbacks. And I, I think that the, the greatest blessing I would say that helps you in life the most is, is like, it makes you resilient and makes you have a healthy self-confidence. No matter who tells you what basketball players could move forward. You know, that's a major thing. Um, teamwork you know establishing your role beating the odds being organized taking care of your body taking care of your soul putting you in a situation to succeed what's life about life is all about like putting yourself in a good situation to be successful that's what basketball teaches you how to do how to prepare you know um had ne- you never my coach always say never as good as you think you are when you win you're never as bad as you think you are when you lose you know, these type of lessons, then they, they're, they're transferable. They're, they're universal. They help you. And everything in my life is, is because of basketball. Like I met my wife. She told me, you know, that, you know, she gave her scholarship back because she didn't want to compete on Shabbat. 
like we had the same story. We got oh. we got competing boy basketball. She was playing basketball too. She was a runner. She was a runner. Oh. She was going to be a Division One runner, and everything's on Shabbat running in college. So she's like, you know what? I, I can't do it. She gave the scholarships back. She came to Israel and was studying here. And when she told me that, I'm like, man, that we have the same story. We got engaged after two weeks, and then our whole house. The re- like our success in marriage and our family and our kids, everything is because of athletics. Like we're on a team. Like she understands what it means to be on a team, like at a division one level. It's a brotherhood. It's a partnership that it can't be explained. It's all basketball. Like our houses run like a team. I love it. The whole team got jerseys. Everybody's got. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So it's everything, everything that happens in, in business, you know, it's, it's that same creativity. It's the, the work ethic, it's the resilience, you know, it's the positivity, it's the optimism. It's, you know, it's the same thing with coaching. It's the same thing with product development. It's the same thing with scouting. It's like everywhere you go, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, you know, like one of my products that's in the NBA right now, I didn't want to tell, I didn't want to tell a coach about it. I couldn't wait. I was keeping it. And then the first coach I told, he's like, ah, oh, man, that's not a good idea. You know, but you, basketball says, all right, that's fine. You don't think it's a good idea. And it's not about proving anyone else wrong. It's about reaching your own potential and, and your own healthy self-confidence that basketball, you know, builds you up with. So it's like, I could always continue to move forward and find the new blessings and, you know, um, handle setbacks well, I would say. Handle setbacks with, with finding new blessings within the setbacks. So that's what basketball gives to me every single day, basically. Mm. What, will your kids play? Yeah, so um, we've been blessed with five kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all love basketball. Like I would say, they all love basketball. One More of them, than running? Yeah, except for maybe one. Uh, she, Our oldest, she, she loves running and working out more than playing basketball, but she, she could probably be an analyst, a basketball analyst or a broadcaster. She knows everything about every player, every team, everything. Like the, wow. the IQ of basketball, she has all that down, like on the highest high, high levels. Um, she's about to get ready to go in the army in Israel. I don't know how that's going to help her there, but <laughs> that's, what she, that's what she's always thinking about. Oh, wow. Um, She'll be an intelligence. Yeah. Yeah, intelligence. And our 14-year-old, he's about to be 14, our son, he's hes made basketball his life. So we'll see what happens with Ezra Tashem. Good okay. player. Wow. Good, good kid, though. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, it's the same thing. I still get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to work out uh, every day, just wow. like I did when I was playing, you know. still I still eat like a, like a basketball player. I still train like a basketball. I still train like a pro every day. Um, what does you know, that look like? I, what, what's, that, what's training like a pro look like? Oh, I, I put on your podcast. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Good start. Good start. Put it on your podcast. No, I just, you know, push myself every day, push myself every day to the best I could do to take care of my body, you know, never taking never, no shortcuts, no shortcuts in training ever. Mm. So what, do, what, what do you want to be remembered by for? What I want to be remembered for is, um, I want to say like a couple of, you know, a couple of things, like a lot of times when you're like the first, you know, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Rudy or if you ever saw the uh, men of honor, there's like a lot of things that like, when you're the first person to go through it, you have to deal with a lot of things that hopefully the the next generation. Yeah. So I I would hope that a lot of things that I went through made it easier for the next generation of, of players. I'd love for like next generation of players for their journey 
and, and them being proud of their identity through sport, like, um, easier for them than what I had to go through. That would make me really happy because then it made me feel like everything I went through was like for a reason. So that it'd be easier for them and better for them. Um, and, uh, that I united a lot of people and, uh, through the game of basketball and that like when I'm all said and done, you know, I, I know that God brought my soul down here to do good through basketball. And hopefully I, when I return it, Hashem will say, you did a good job on that basketball mission, you know? Um, and that also obviously includes being the best person, father, husband, family person I could be. And that I brought out as many Holy sparks as I could through the game of basketball. Ultimately that that's, that that's my mission, you know, whether it's charity initiatives or coaching with clinics or camps or scouting or whatever it is, um, consulting for teams that uh, hopefully, hopefully Hashem will, will be proud of, of his basketball messenger. hundred <laughs> percent. I love that. I love that. man. that's really beautiful. What's I, I, I'm just so curious to know, cause like, I don't know too many people who can, what's that feeling like when you go up for a slam dunk, what's that the flying in the air, hanging onto the rim? Like, I don't know, man. I don't know too many people who could do that. That sounds, that seems amazing. Yeah. So I remember like my first dunk, um, I ran back out to the gym because Coach Katz wasn't there. And I I can't believe you missed it. I just dumped. Where were you? Like, what were you doing outside? And he comes back and he's like, Tamir, do you know how many times you're going to dump in your life? Like, this is just the first one. This is just the first one. So, no, it's, it's, it's almost like the dunk is like, you know, when you give an artist, like, their turn or, like, a drummer or, like, a guitar or, like, a singer, their solo, it's like, their 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 twist their beauty their you know their poetry it's their your time you know and and like that to me was like you know just like it is for a musician like that's what the dunk is it's like your turn to like show you know show your grace in the air you know or it's like that's the funnest part of the game you know so when i was a kid i used to think I used to tell my family, like, even if I'm 75 years old and I still can't dunk, I'm not going to quit till I'm going to keep working, working, working until I can dunk. And, you know, I was blessed with like a really good um, left footed leap, which is what right hand, you know, in basketball, you jump off your left, you finish with your right. But then when I got to like 15, 16, I started going to the weight room four times a week with this coach, Rob Slade, and he taught me how to power clean and snatch. And that allowed me to become a two foot jumper. In basketball, the greatest players could jump off a two, jump off a left, jump off a right. And so that that just took my game to a whole nother level, you know, that that work in the weight room and, and learning how to like again push yourself to a level that you never thought was possible. I mean, and, and then when you get to college, they max you out every day. They max you out. They know they know what your strength is and they push you to that every day. So, you know, working at that level of like, get, you know, winning the day, winning the day, winning the day, winning the day. And for me, it was like so hard because I got to get up earlier to pray. And then it's like, I'm the only person keeping kosher. So it's like, you go to the weight room at 6.30 and then team breakfast at eight. And it's like, there's no kosher food, but we're eating a non-kosher dining hall. I have like a little kosher microwave in my bag that what? I plug in. What? Yeah. <laughs> what are you plug talking in. about? Yeah, I load in some kosher food because it, was, it wasn't a kosher dining hall. You know, I have oh. some kosher food in class, like, it's like every day, like trying to, you know, win the day, win the day. But it's, it all started because I, I grew up like that in, in, mm. in the right house and stuff. What, what's a message you want to leave to, to young people or, or to somebody who's an entrepreneur, someone who's a, a lesson from basketball that you could share right now that could be transmitted to other parts of life? Yeah, I think that each person needs 
to realize how unique they are. Like it makes sense to me that that there's trillions of cells in our body working right now, like in the trillions, because we're unique. And we don't need to prove that to anybody else. Like the fact that God's investing in us, that already means that we're really unique and we have this unique mission. And you don't need to you don't need to let you don't need to prove that to anyone else. You just need to go after those blessings that you have, believe in them. And like you say, be resilient and do all the right things to put yourself in a situation to succeed. And it will happen. And eventually it will happen. There's one of my favorite things ever. I think it was from the sixth Lubavitcher. I could be wrong that like, there's no such thing as work that doesn't bear fruit. It's impossible. You may not have the exact result that you want right now, but something happened. If you invested, you either got smarter or more spiritual or more like all hard work pays off. You know, so it's like, don't have to prove that to anybody else. Just keep going, go, go and doing what you're doing. You already have this, have what you need. You know, mm, um, yeah. I think like, uh, you know, it's you know, a trick to life is like knowing when to ask for help and knowing when you could like, you know, what can that person do that you could do for yourself? You know, knowing that balance, knowing when to do that, you know, and I think like uh, Steve Jobs once like said, it's like a in, in his book or something, he's like, you got to be able to like sit in the cafe and realize that you're just as smart as anybody else in that cafe and, and, and whatever they're working, you know, and it's true. Mm. You know, it's, yeah. it's really true. Sick, man. What are you, what are, what are you working on these days? What can we look out for, for, from Tamir Goodman? Yeah. So, um, I had my overnight campus canceled last year because of COVID. I'm hoping that I could still launch camp this summer. It might have to be day camp, but we're trying to bring some cool NBA guys over. That should be awesome. I'm about to release another basketball product. I just patented a couple months ago that I'm so excited. I think it's going wow. to change basketball around the world. No way. And, Are you able to yeah. share it now because it's patented or we got to wait for it? Soon. And next month, hopefully. Okay. Okay. Product development. I got to, I'm so excited about it. But again, I only came, came up with that idea because I lost everything this year. It was my first time in life, not being able to be in a gym, not being able to coach, not, you know, I was completely broken and, and it, it like, again, it made me think of something that otherwise I would have never thought of. Um, I don't know if you know, but like I, I also invented one product that's being used in the NBA called the Zone 190. So that got stolen from us. We won the patent infringement recently. So I'm relaunching all of that. Fantastic. Now, what does that, what's that product? It's Zone 190. It's the first ever multi-angled pitchback for basketball. So a player can replicate game-like scenarios, even when they're playing by themselves in, in the gym. It's like, it's like having 10 coaches pass me the ball, even though I'm in the gym all by myself. So um, cool. I'm really, really excited about that. And um, I'm working on a new children's book and a movie. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm a guess so, about basketball. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I digitized my whole career this year during um, COVID. I just finished the last segment. I sent it to you today. Beautiful. So stuff. I went all the way 14, age 14, all the way up through the pros. And digitize everything and now we're working on some potential movie partners there's a lot of exciting talk about it so hopefully we'll find the right team and then like uh, we're working on a children's book about uh being dyslexic <laughs> wow wow to me, yeah. that's amazing that's amazing yeah. dude yeah. it's it's incredible how you've literally no kind of time to pivoted from you yeah. know your career and being a, a pro basketball player to continuing that vision that passion through the years and uh, and still facilitating like these incredible camps and and programming. I know I'm a big camp simcha guy. I went a couple of summers ago. I know you've been there, and oh, yeah. I, I've seen the smiles that you bring to those kids who are going through a lot. And uh, you show up in a, in a beautiful way. I'm pumped for your new projects, the book, the film. Sounds exciting. Um, yeah. 
you know, if you need like a stunt double or someone to play Tamir, you know, I, you know, I'm an actor. I'm just letting it know, putting it out yeah. there. Uh, yeah. And um, I want to end up by asking you, what is a, a great day for you? Oh my God. A great day for me is when everybody's happy and healthy in my family. I get to spend time with my wife. I, I see my kids reaching their dreams, flourishing. I hear good news from my friends. I hear good news from my families. I see people reaching their dreams. Um, I'm able to work out. I'm able to learn some Torah, able to pray a little bit. I'm able to be in Israel. Basically, these are my days every day. Uh, mm-hmm. I try to make them that day. Um, eat well, sleep well, um, take care of my body, exceed expectations, overcome my my challenges, my internal struggles, um, win the day. You know, these these are these are like real happy days. You know, uh, and that's what I try to do. Try to do every day. Win the day. Win the day. Yes. Love it, Tamir. Thank you so much for showing up beautifully. Uh, Thank you. Blessings to all your listeners and and that's the Khan, all your amazing work, brother. Love you. Love you too, man. Dear friends, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast episode with Tamir Goodman. And I want to thank Tamir. Thank you for showing up and sharing your time and your journey with me and with all of us today, really. And uh, I wanted to give a big thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in, whether you're new to the podcast or whether you're returning. I thank you for supporting by subscribing, rating, commenting on this podcast episode and sharing it with your friends and family. Your support goes a long, long way and it means so much to me. So thank you, thank you. And of course, just a reminder, there are opportunities to uh, to let people know about what you're working on, your business, your product by uh, sponsoring a podcast episode. So do be sure to reach out uh, to me on social media uh, at Mayor K and uh, we could arrange that to happen. So until then, like I always say, stay positive, be happy. I'm Mayor K and have a great day. Mm-hmm.